Hello listeners, welcome to episode 8 of Time Added On for Sausages, the football podcast up to the point. I'm Kevin Burrows, this is the voice of Paul Finney. You alright? Yes, I'm fine, how are you? I'm alright, I'm not going to lie, I, I, I want my football back and uh, I know we should be saying that because people losing their lives which is far more important but... Yeah, it's just it's, uh, it's getting a bit much now. It's just struggling. I never knew football was so much a part of my life until I, I realised what I do on Saturdays is just travel up and down the country watching terrible football, which is something I'm, I'm missing. But yeah, there's more important things to miss, I guess. Yes, but it's this is what this is how we know each other. This is, it is it is only football, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We know this, and, it, and you said the, the lives of people are far more important. But this is how a lot of people know each other, and it's that yeah. that's the bit that's the concern, isn't it? Of, of not knowing when it's going to come back, and there's so many people what, what, not wandering around now at home on a Saturday afternoon, not knowing what to do with themselves. That's the the mental health aspect of sport and following a team, from being a fan of a thing that you can't do anymore, shouldn't be underestimated. I think. I think it's hugely important. I think um, there's a couple of things you see. Everyone sort of downplays the importance of football. If you consider the financial aspect, everyone who works in and around football. If you consider the the pubs and clubs around football. I mean, for example, I went to Charlton recently and um, there's a kid, a very, very smart kid who's outside the stadium, outside his front door, selling bags of sweets. So there are people around football who also are losing out from, from football not being around. And, and, and the actual, it is like a drug. The actual, you know, the, 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 what people get from watching football, from seeing their team win, from the travelling as well. The fans, most fans I know, and Paul, you'll probably allude to it, is the travel. You know, when you're going away uh, from home, all of those things, put the actual game to one side, everything around it is also just as important as the results and the table and winning. The other voice you heard there, listeners, is um, the former Charlton, Crystal Palace, Aston Villa and Bristol City midfield player, Paul Mortimer. So thanks for joining us, Paul. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. It's going to get um, confusing. That's not a problem at all. We, 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 it's, it's, it sounds like it's going to be great fun. It's, it is going to be fun. So, um, so Paul Finley did drop out there, but he's now back. So this is a great start. A bit like, a bit like my time at school, really, but never mind. Carry on. <laughs> uh, yes, you missed out year three. Anyway, so... Um, three, four, five, six, seven, ten. I tell you, track uh, on. <clears throat> you're back on now. Now we are going to be talking about football, even though there isn't any, obviously. But we're also going to be talking about uh, Paul Mortimer's involvement in the the kick racism out of football campaign, originally called Show Racism in the Red Car. Paul was very instrumental in getting that off the ground. Has been a, a great advocate for for that over the past few years but we're going to talk about football as well talk about Paul's career we can look about how we're gonna how can this season end is it going to end because yes it's not important in the grand scheme of things but this is this is what we do it's a football podcast we need to talk about football at some point now um there will be this is a, this is a proper show we're gonna have we have, we've run out of songs so the, <laughs> we do have two bands working on songs uh we have Danny Valentine and the Meditations who are working on a version of Ness and Dorma which I cannot wait to hear uh and we've got another band I think it's Dan Donovan, uh, as the Dan the D, is doing a version of Diamond Lights by Chris Waddle and Ben Hoddle. I can't wait for that to come through. Oh, we, do have, we do have a fan <laughs> on the show. We've got, if you, if you, the first time you've ever heard our show, maybe it is, um, we talk to fans of clubs that have never really achieved or underachieved. Uh, and that is going to be a fan of Clyde. So that's going to be quite fun. Um, we've got Paul Hunt. You know what, look, Kevin, can I, can yeah. I say something? Yeah. It's funny that 
AFC Wimbledon fan and a Queen's Park Rangers fan are having fans of clubs that have underachieved. And that, the irony is never lost on me. It's, Carry on. It's what you know, isn't it? I don't, I, I don't think we, have, we haven't underachieved. We've overachieved, though. I think maybe, my team's overachieved. Maybe. maybe. Yeah, maybe. maybe. Do you know 80, what I used to know me about? Ago, it didn't exist. In that yeah, sense. Let's pretend Paul Morton was not here. But it's really annoying me about Paul as a player. <laughs> he was one of them players, when he used to play against Rangers, I have no idea he was a fan, which I found out later alive <clears> of my team. But <clears> also, he was that good. You didn't know he was playing, but he stopped your frigging attacking all the time. And it used to wind me up. Um, <laughs> he seemed to read the game better than most of midfield, Paul. Was that something that was drilled into you when you were a child? Yeah, I mean, I, I, was, uh, <clears throat> I was an apprentice at Fulham. And, and uh, Ray Harford was the manager. And then we had some great coaches uh, in the youth team. A uh, uh, guy called Alan Taylor, not, not the one who played for Fulham. And, and also a guy called Brian Nichols who worked within the, the youth setup, who who taught us slightly differently. And it was almost like take away physical power and pace. If you didn't have them, how could you still be successful? So it was more about thinking about the game and 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 positional sense and understanding how you think players might react and respond in, in certain situations. The weird thing was, though, I, you know, I played for a long time for Charlton and some of the fans would literally say, he was a great player, but he was always seemed to be out of position. And I would say to them, no, 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 I wasn't. I just didn't think I needed to be where you thought I needed to be. So, for example, you know, when I played left back, I would say to my left winger, you don't have to come back. If I can't mm. deal with the, the, the attacker 1v1, I shouldn't be on the pitch. Whereas when I speak to the Charlton fans, you never ran back to help the fullback. And I, would, I remember sitting in the forum and saying, but was he defending at the time? No, but the team needs to... No, no, but was he defending at the time? No, the ball's on the other side of the pitch. Why do I need to be there then? I'm mm. hoping we win the ball. If we win the ball, I'm in the more advanced position. So it's things like that that people sometimes don't understand. So, you know, I was taught a lot more about that than physical pace and power but the other thing uh, I was going to mention also that so um, as I've, I've seen you play for I think all of those clubs probably you played against Wimbledon many times so if you're you're, you're from Shepherds Bush you're a yeah. fan yeah how come then I'm saying this is a Wimbledon fan who had no connection with you although there was a small one but we're not going to go into that um, yeah. how did you end up not playing to QPR because that seemed like the obvious <coughs> if you're from the area and a fan and you you, you you don't play for him. Well, I, I, it's funny because me and a, a very good friend of mine, Paddy McCarthy, Patrick McCarthy, we, he lived in sort of Wembley Way and I lived in, in, in Shepherd Bush. And QPR used to train on the AstroTurf just by the stadium in That's the park. Right. And, and, you know, they asked me to come. And, and I was going there on a, I think it was a Monday and a Wednesday and Fulham on a Tuesday and Thursday. Me and Paddy used to go to both. And, you know, we, we loved Fulham. Fulham was completely different because it, there was more of a, it was more of a homely, welcoming feel. When you went to Queen's Park Rangers, it was very, um, it was very, very cold. And you, were, you felt like you were competing because it wasn't just the, the players there, but the, the parents and people like that. And they'd actually, they weren't very welcoming to new people. So we went there because it was fun and, and they had great sandwiches after training. Fulham didn't. That's, <laughs> what, that's why we went. And they, and they used, they used, to play, they used to pay our travel expenses. So Queen's Park Rangers would give me £10 travel expenses. It took me five minutes to walk to the, to the training. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to QPR because I'm Quinn's in. But there was never really any intent to, to, to play for them, just simply because it wasn't, it wasn't welcoming. 
It didn't feel... You know, you get a sense of places. Who was around them, Paul, in them days? Uh, who was... It's funny because I think uh, Chris Geely was in charge. Um, Bobby mm. Ross was the coach. Uh, Wayne Faraday used to coach us. I remember. Okay. Wayne Faraday used to coach us. He was brilliant. He was absolutely brilliant. Loved He's a lovely him. man. Loved him. What kind of players? Uh, I think Mark Cooper was a, one of the players. Um, I, can't, I, I genuinely can't remember many because it just wasn't... They didn't come down and mix. It's really weird because that's something that we used to pride ourselves on was being a community club and being from that area. Um, all right, not from birth, but living yeah. there. Um, didn't feel like that. Didn't, but didn't, I, I, didn't like I understand that. the... I think, you know, we, we can't say too much, but the Chris Gillier thing I totally get, by the way. So I do understand that. And I, I guess... It's funny how time changes because I would say it's probably swapped the other way now between QPR and Fulham. Fulham's probably more that, you know, you've got a chance to um, make the grade. If you don't make the grade, you're out. And yeah. that's, that, that worries me more about modern football than anything. I, yeah. we, have a, we have a young goalkeeper called Joe Lumley. Now, to me, Joe's a great goalkeeper. But he's made a few mistakes and his confidence has been wrecked. Now, people forget that Phil Parks wasn't the Phil Parks that left QPR. Phil Parks went on players go on journeys Paul yes. why don't teams give people chances anymore? Why, why are you not allowed to learn your trade why is it three games in you don't impress you're out well sometimes if you look at uh, Lumley for example because I've, I've I do match commentary also and yeah. so um, I've commented on some of the games where he's made a couple of mistakes and it's not that the crowd have turned sort of you know uh, aggressively but that murmur, that lack of real confidence in him transmits to him. And you, I saw it in games where, you know, the crowd did have an impact. They can have such a positive impact on a player. They really can. But with some, they just get to a point where maybe, and it happens with clubs as well, they don't fancy the player and that's it. See you later, bye. It literally is. You know, that's why mm. some players will, will, will be given chance after chance. Some players, they get in, they make one mistake, you never see them again. Um, it's not something you can really quantify and, I, and say, look, this is the reason why. It's just the emotional aspects of foot, to football as well. I just get a sense, of, oh, I don't think he's going to be right for us. And, and he goes on and, be, and is a success somewhere else. I was a kid at Fulham. Um, I got released as apprentice. 1987 by Fulham, I got released as apprentice in the March. Ray Lewington was manager, got re- released as apprentice. By the November, Fulham were in what, League One? at that stage. By the November, I was playing for Charlton in what would be the Premier League. It's people's opinions. They don't get it right all the time. They don't get it right all the time. And then Charlton, of course, were homeless in them days as well, which didn't really help build the farm base. I I mean, when I first went there, they were were at the Valley. Um, But yeah, uh, by the time I started playing, we were at Sellers Park. I did most of my playing at Sellers Park, although we did go back to the Valley. But it's... For me, that is what a community club is about. I know they're going through a terrible situation now, but what you find with a lot of Charlton players is they go back. They go back. And, and, and when you go back, it, it, it's fantastic. It is re- it's a really nice place. And, you know, and that's, 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 I think that will start coming back. When we move out of the situation we're in at the moment, people will start to recognise how big a part the community plays in your football club. And clubs will gravitate back towards their communities because some clubs have lost that community feeling when they've brought in a lot of foreign players, foreign ownership. All of that 
it detaches. There's a disconnect between clubs and their community sometimes because the ownership, they have no attachment to the community. It's true that, and the and the one thing that worries me is that with Charlton is that, um, you know, you kind of all they've been through. I mean, you know, listen, we're London rivals, of course, we're going to give them grief when we play them and stuff. But mm. as a fan, I feel nothing but solidarity with them because fighting to get back to the valley, um, stayed in the Premier League, built the fan base, and these two people, the the last owner and the new owner, how they've been allowed to get hold of that club is nothing less than a disgrace. Like, I know you can't probably sit in because you're an expert and you have to go back there, but I feel for them. And I know Steve Gallon was doing a brilliant job at Charlton getting players in and this, that and the other. And then poor buggers must be banging their head off a wall because how, how long can you keep that going? Because you know as well as I do, Paul and Kevin, because it's happened to all our clubs, you can only keep bringing gems through when you've got something to work with. That's yeah. Right. <clears throat> Look, look yeah. what you have to consider at Charlton is, and I've been there, and I've, I've been there to a lot of home games this season, and I'll talk openly about it. I think the last owner um, should have taught us some things, should have taught the EFL some things as well, because they've allowed this, this new owner to come in without having a, a highlight or, or, or being able to guarantee that he's got funds to fund the club. Mm. because the club were in a transfer embargo because he hasn't shown that he has sufficient funds, yet the EFL have allowed him to to take over the club. So that, I mean, it's like Charlton have gone from a a, a, a huge frying pan into a even bigger, hotter frying pan. Yeah. And, and, I don't, and, and I don't understand it because we've now got an owner who you're not sure he's got the funds. The, two, the, the chairman has just been removed. And the guy that's been put in his place is a, is a guy that no one knows, doesn't even oh, know God. whether he's got football experience. The whole Really? Is, well, you don't know. I mean, you know, the, the two guys that they've put in charge are not even based in, weren't even based in this country. I can't remember their names. I will dig them up. Weren't based in this country. I think one was an agent and one had low-level oh, no. football experience. <clears throat> but, I mean, that, that's not to say there won't be good chairman and chief executives. But I think what Charlton needs is people that know the club, because it's yeah. a unique club, that know the area, that know the importance of the community and can back the, the, the manager with money. And you need that phrase, football people. Yes. Yeah. I, I, people hate when, you know, people often hate when you say football people, but you need, Charlton need football people. And, you know, they've got an owner who I think <clears throat> has probably seen a bargain here somewhere. Um, and, and it's gambled. I, I really do. And, and I just, because it, none of them fill me with any confidence whatsoever. It's a great club. Lee, Lee Bowyer has done a magnificent job. Could end yep. up losing him. And once he goes, the band breaks up. Lyle Taylor, people, all of that, they're gone. And, and, and what happens to Charlton? I mean, I, I actually think, you know, when we come out of this, we've got 91 clubs at the moment. If we have 85 clubs, I'll be surprised. I think clubs will lose, will That's go fair. to the wall. I really do. I hope Charlton isn't one of them. I tend to, I, I, I kind of thought that this enforced break, as horrible as it is for the football club, is probably a blessing because it allows them to, under the radar, actually work out what the hell's going on there and fix it. That's, that, the, the, I know Paul F, uh, you and I have discussed fan ownership on many occasions. That's the one mm. thing. I know there's, there's limitations. We, we had limitations. Paul and I were going to do a, a program uh, about fan ownership. On, and then that day we were going to record was the day that we found out my club were £11 million short in our stadium. 
build yes. and we decided no let's not do the fan ownership <laughs> is, you know, the question was is there a ceiling to fan ownership and we thought yeah there it is we've seen it now however the one thing we can say about fan ownership is that we know who the owners are they're football people because i'm one of them right there's there's mm. three and a half thousand of us that own this club obviously we've got a board of directors in place who run the club and the dons <laughs> trust board who do all the the other the, the, the link between the fans and yeah. The but there's no there's no one person there is no uh roland de chatelet for example to yeah. come in and mess our club up because we've got three thousand people who, who own it and we we appoint the people who run it well it works in germany quite well, well doesn't it works it? in germany very well yeah but, but i mean we, we i mean not to take it back to qpr all the time but i, I will because that's my job sometimes um we had a case i, I shall rest different... it back in a minute hang on <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, sorry, yeah, um, sorry, sorry, Kevin. But you know, um, oh, can you hear me? Yes, perfectly. Oh, sorry. The, um, the, the, I don't know if you remember this, Paul. Years ago, before, um, sorry, Kevin, to bring up old memories. Before MK stole your identity and took you away, <laughs> they came to see us when we were on our knees with administration. And you know, I during the meeting, I asked Mr. Winkerman, you know, what he knew about QPR, and guess what? Nothing. Zilch. Not a sausage. Didn't know anything about us. Probably, we were one minute away from the ground. We could have been in Peru. He hadn't a clue. And, you know, this is surely what the, um, these people, luckily we, we sent them back, but not luckily for you guys. Um, then we had a few years later with a, an Italian German who, uh, who used to be an agent, I won't name, but it was as crazy as, as they come. And he almost yeah, bankrupted the yeah. club. And it's just, how did they... Football League keep letting these people in. They, they clearly have no money. They're clearly going to use the club to build their own financial fortunes and let the club die. It just doesn't make sense to me. Well, I mean, for me, when, I, when, I, when we talk about Charlton, and I know a lot of people, you know, when I talk to Charlton, I'll say, hold on, I'm a QPR fan. We've gone through a succession of poor owners, you know, who have spent so much money on terrible players that have given us, you know, a two-second thrill and cost us immensely in terms of financial aspects. Um, and, and again, I, I have to look at... Uh, clubs have to take responsibility, of course, but I've also got to look at the, 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 the authorities, the EFL. Um, what is this fit and proper test? What, what it actually entails, because a succession of poor owners have gone into QBR and cost that club dear, cost us dear. Mm-hmm. And it's always the fans that suffer. So the, the, in order to, to ring fence and keep our clubs safe, the, there's, there needs to be far more scrutiny on, on the, the fit and proper test. It has to be far more robust. It has to, because I go back to Charlton. This guy's come in. He hasn't shown that he's got the funds. So are the EFL actually more concerned with getting someone into a club in terms of ownership or more concerned with uh, not losing clubs? I, I don't know. Good I point. Mean, we're going to have to lose them. If they're financially not viable, then they're not viable. There's nothing we can do about that. But you can't put an owner in who hasn't got the funds. Well, do you remember years ago, Paul, I mean, when, when Palladini took over QPR, I mean, some of the fans went to war and everything else and blah, blah, blah. But everyone in football knew it was a disaster waiting to happen. As it happens, he, he somehow got lucky. What people forget is that when we went up that year, Briatore and Eccleston, as a four-year plan thing was done, would have probably bankrupt the club if yeah. we hadn't gone up because of yeah. where they were running things. Whereas Fernandez, is, whereas Fernandez has come in and in fairness to him, 
his problem was he didn't listen to anyone. He thought he knew best. And he completely ripped the community apart, yeah. as in the old QPR. I went for this kind of like Mark Hughes, Harry Redknapp, everything oh, that QPR aroma. should never have been, it became. And with that, we lost at a den today. Now, yeah. the other thing before that was, we talked about Alan McDonald before we started. Macca was a player at QPR. Um, never got to say goodbye to him, which is his grace. Assistant manager. And one story was, do you remember years ago when we couldn't play the um, the, the uh, Harlington? We couldn't play the the uh, the thing and they closed the training ground. Yeah. And the, I mean, this is some story, but the chairman then thought it was a great idea that an Irish man phone joined all the players and tells them the uh, training ground's closed because of a bomb score. <laughs> That's how insane our football club was at the time. And yeah, it's, you know, it's sometimes you laugh at things, but you know, what, 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 with, Ch- with Wimbledon and Charlton and stuff like that, there, and even more so with Berry, you're kind of thinking, how do these people get anywhere near yeah. Yeah. that suite? You know, that, that should be a sacred, sacred, hallowed ground for anyone that owns a football club. And yet, these. These these people who know nothing. I mean, the guy that was trying to make Charlton a kind of a a, a brand that links up with was it Belgium and all this yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. It was a farce. Yeah, it was it was a nonsense. I mean, he, 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 the thing about it was, he, I mean, he got rid of Chris Powell. Shocking. Uh, um, and 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 Chris knew he was a dead man walking when new players were turning up that he didn't know that that oh, wow. came through the door. And our goalkeeper turned up. I think the day before. The Chatelet, you know, was 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 formally named and sort of set up. You know, I'm 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 your new goalkeeper. No, you're not. Jesus. Well, actually, yes, I am. Well, actually, no, you're not. And that kind of farcical aspect. So Chris is wise enough to know that at some point he was leaving. And what happened in my, you know, from what I gather was then all of a sudden you have an owner who was interfering in in the team. You know, and I I, I honestly don't understand this. This is where. You know, it, the fit and proper test has to come down to the owner's understanding of football. It has to, because you you had him interfering uh, in 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 team selection, <clears throat> wanting to play a part, sacking managers, bringing managers that he sacked from previous clubs in, from lower yeah. divisions. In I mean, it, 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 for me, if it was another business, you'd be you'd be you'd be looking at him and, and accusing him of running their business into the ground, because that's what he was doing. He was he was, and then. You know, you, you look at stuff like that and you think, well, where are the EFL? They can see this is happening. There has to be some way they can go, right, we need to now, it's almost like we need to audit you to see what's going on because we need to know. We, you know, the clubs should be at the, at, the, at the forefront of this, the welfare of the club and keeping 92 clubs in. That's why what happened to Berry was a disgrace. Keeping 92 clubs in, the EFL should be saying, that's what our job is. We must move heaven and earth to make sure we can do that. And I look at Charlton and I just think, you know, their desire to have someone in charge, I think, has overrun, overridden their desire to have the right people in charge. Yeah. No, I think that's, that's, a, that's a great right. quote. And we'll join Paul again in a minute and talk about more interesting stuff. Great conversation with Paul Mortimer. Um, so we do have uh, anecdotes with another Paul, Paul Hutton. As you know, we have a random anecdote generator. Uh, well, Paul will be talking, will give us an anecdote from his time on uh, Sky and on Capital Gold Sports. So, Paul Finney, would you like to choose... Um, a number between 1 and 24 that we haven't had already but I can't remember what numbers we haven't had we haven't had any in the teens would you like to pick a number All right. have that one as Paul Hardcastle would say 19 
19. So this is Paul Hutton's anecdotes from the golden age of capital gold and sky. Anecdote number 19. Just after my eldest son was born, so the, the, there was one particular other thing that really George Best would have been very proud of, was that I was horrendously hungover because on the Friday night, all the friends from the antenatal group had got together for the first time since we'd all become parents. And in, you know, in the very grown-up way that one, uh, one acts when you've got small children, got completely and utterly plastered. Mm-hmm. So the next day I had the most thumping hangover and I had to travel all the way from Bedfordshire where I lived to um, Colchester to the old Layer Road to watch Colchester against Bristol Rovers and I remember the last words I said to my wife as she dropped me off at the, uh, uh, the ground was I'm just hoping for a nice quiet nil-nil because then I don't need to do anything because on Soccer Saturday you generally only ever reported when there was a goal. 5-4 it finished. Now I'd have to look up which way round. I remember <coughs> Lamana Tresor Luar Luar scored oh, yeah. a couple, yeah. uh, came on as a sub. I remember that bit. But what I do remember is there were four goals in four minutes. And so basically what would happen was Soccer Saturday would cut to me They'd go back to the studio where they were covering one of the games with one of the ex-player pundits, and then they'd cut back to me for another goal. And so as they went between them, then it was George Best's turn. So Jeff Sterling said, uh, so how's your game going, George? And George went, well, I wish I was watching the game Paul Hutton's watching. And it was this moment, this moment that George Best had actually spoken my name. He, he wouldn't yeah. have known who I was. It was like when I worked at Capital and one of our pundits was Bobby Moore. And this is a true story as well. The phone rang. I picked up the phone. Hello, Sport. Hello, who's that? It's Paul. Hello, Paul. It's Bobby Moore. And I genuinely dropped the phone. I was not worthy to be on the phone to Bobby Moore. It was one of those moments. And so when George Best spoke my name, that was another where my, you know, if I ever were to write an autobiography, I think that would have to be the title. I love that one. That is um, <laughs> funny. Paul, I could hear you chuckling in the background. I'm, I'm, you're amused. I am. In these dark times, it's nice to have a wee bit of realism. And we've always had football as being so professionally run. And I, I love his anecdotes because it, it just makes you realise that their life is as insane as ours is. Well, they're people, aren't they? People forget that they're footballers are people and they don't want to move clubs because they don't want to lose the chance of taking their kid to school and that kind of stuff. So, yes, the money's lovely, but they are people. At the end of the day. Right, let's rejoin our fantastic conversation with Paul Mortimer. Paul, thanks for staying with us. Now, Paul and I um, had this, Paul F and I have discussed the subject of racism um, pretty much every episode because it just seemed the last year or so in football, it either making a comeback in on the in the stands, or it's just being more it's been more highlighted. Either way, whatever the answer is. It's ridiculous that we're in the year 2020 and we're still discussing uh, the difficulties that, that black players have or from, from or for any BAME communities um, are having. So, Paul M., you were involved, or you, you're kind of one of the people that kicked off the, um, the kick racism out of football campaigns many, many years ago. It must be incredibly frustrating to still be... It's still a topic. It, it must be incredible. How did you get... What was my, my question really is, how did you get started in that? Because there was a, a lot of black players around that time that maybe didn't get involved in it or didn't yeah. support it or felt they couldn't or felt afraid. You just kind of did it and then you were kind of, you know, carrying it off into the, you know, yeah. into the 
into the ether. How, how did you get involved in the first place? And what, what was the one incident that made you think, no, I've got to do something? No, no what, what happens, I, mean, I remember when Kick It Out started um, many years ago, and uh, I can remember what used to happen. And it used to irritate, actually, Kick It Out, uh, organisations like that used to irritate me when I first started as a young <laughs> black player because they would come in and gravitate towards the black players. And every year pre-season, you know, the first game of season, we'd have to unfurl a banner on the pitch and all that business. Yeah. And it was li- literally just aimed at all the black players. And I sort of said, I remember just saying once, I'm, I'm refusing to do it. I ain't doing it. Because all the white players just walk off. You don't need to educate me. I, 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 I experience it. It's them you need to educate. So yeah. until you actually bring everyone into it, I'm not interested. So what happened for me was through the years, you know, I experienced a lot of racism. I mean, no, you know, coming from the late 80s onwards, of course. But then if you look at it, you know, look at society, you know, when I started playing, black people were, were being abused in the streets still. You know, you, I, I remember mm. it. I remember yeah. it. So, so those people were making up the, the, the you know, the, the, the fan base in stadiums. There, there's absolutely no dispute in that. Um, so when I started playing, I mean, a, a, a lot of, issues of race were not being discussed. It was happening, but it wasn't being discussed because actually no one knew what to do with it. No one knew how to discuss it. No one knew how to challenge it. People felt uncomfortable about it, but, and, and some people didn't really. It wasn't on their radar. Maybe they came from environments where this was prevalent anyway, so it was just a norm for them. And, you know, I, I, I spoke to a lot of players, uh, uh, a lot of white players who found it incredibly uncomfortable, who didn't actually know what to do, yeah. who, who, who knew it was wrong, but maybe some of their mates were participants, so they didn't want to, to get involved. A lot didn't want to get involved. Um, and there was no education. There wasn't. You know, it wasn't profiled and promoted the way, the way it is now. I mean, a lot of young players now are quite fortunate that they have support systems. There were none then. So... And, and what happened for me, a lot more happened after I finished playing. Um, I, I worked for a group called Show Racism the Red Card, who yeah. delivered education uh, to schools more than anything. Huge, huge football players. So we had a lot of events at stadiums. Uh, a guy called Jed Grebby uh, uh, organized it, ran it, and, and, and he's still uh, the, the CEO. Um, and what they did was I, I worked for them delivering education. So I was, I was a tutor, an educator, went into schools, delivered education, um, and, and we went to conferences. So we spoke uh, at, at political conferences um, um, in the House of Lords and places like that, Parliament, places like that. We went and, and there were breakout meetings where we spoke to MPs and challenged MPs, as well as delivering education to police, teachers, governors, uh, we went. I remember going to Isle of Man to deliver education to their police force, which was surreal. Wow. Um, I did that for five or six years, and then um, went to work for Kick It Out. Uh, worked for them for five years. Finished a couple of years ago. Worked for them for five years, and I was a player engagement manager. So I basically um, introduced Kick It Out to players because even though Kick It Out had been going a lot of years, then players still didn't know who Kick It Out were. So if I was to say to you, um, when the, the PFA used to um, give players boots. So every year, one of the PFA reps would go around and give boots to the players. When I turned up working for Kick It Out, the players thought I was the, the PFA boot guy because they didn't know about Kick really? It Out. 
Yeah, seriously. Some players still now aren't 100% sure. The problem That's that insane. you have, you, the, the issue you have at the moment with players talking against, I mean, for example, um, I remember talking to a couple of players, Les Ferdinand is one who I know quite well, um, and other players, black players, who were very hesitant when it came to kick it out. And, and that was because they were stuck between what kick it, knowing what kick it out does and them want, want it, what they want kick it out to be. So they would always say, yeah, but Paul, kick it out. You know, they don't punish people. And I'm saying, well, that's because kick it out isn't a sanctioning body. It is not a sanctioning body. Everyone thought that kick it out was like the FA. They, they, they levy fines and, yeah. and they would. And, and, and that's what a lot of players thought. They thought that kick it out was a sanctioning body. They thought that kick it out held power in that way. No, kick it out isn't. It's a campaigning organisation that challenges through education, challenges the authorities to be better, holds them to account, supports players, but it doesn't levy fines. And so a lot of players thought kick it out didn't have any teeth because, you know, they were sitting on their hands uh, 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 and not doing stuff. And, you know, they were just about T-shirts. Oh, Raheem Sterling said, oh, it's all about T-shirts. Mm. No, no. What we want to do is educate the players correctly because a lot of players still don't understand what racism is. Still, I mean, if you look at the N-word, for example, a lot of black players, I've had arguments with black players who say it's okay for them to use the N-word. Yeah. So trying to, to educate people correctly as to what discrimination, what racism is, what they can do about it. So, for example, I challenge players all the time. You know, they, they have a moan up about this has happened to them and, 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 and we haven't done anything about it. And I always challenge the players, what do you do? So I had, I had one player at a club I was delivering a meeting and they were quite aggressive and it was great. I'd rather them have questions for me. So one player got up and said to me um, in, in front of the group, uh, well, I had an issue. I was racially abused. It went to court. You gave me no support whatsoever. You lot are this, that, whatever. And I actually said, now I know the guy. The, the weird thing was I know, and I played a part in, in supporting him. And I said to him, do you want to have this conversation privately? I think we should, I think it's probably better we have a problem. No, 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 I want to have it now. I went to him, fine. I said, I know exactly what you're talking about because I was the one who tried to get in touch with you. And I said to him, there was an intermediary, a good friend of mine. Do you know such and such? He went, yeah. Now he's shifting in his chair. I went, well, I asked him to get in touch with you. And I could see from his face, he's beginning to remember. And I said, yeah. And what I was told by him was that you weren't interested. Secondly, and the lady that organized the whole meeting was in the far corner. I said, and I pointed at her and I said, and I got in touch with her as well. Now he's really shifted in his chair. And I said, and she told me that you weren't interested. I said, now that's the biggest problem. Not that you're not interested, but that you'll come into this meeting and run up your mouth like you are and, and, and put in a negative spin on it when really you haven't done anything. You don't want to do. And that's the problem that I've had with a lot of players is they will talk about it when the outcome comes along but they don't want to take part in the process. And until they step up and take part in the process, because we need to highlight whether the process works or not. We need to highlight if the process needs amending or not. But if players don't talk about how terrible the process can be, because for some who have taken part in it, they've said the process is terrible. I'm never going to do it again. But we won't know that until we actually challenge the process by players actually playing a part. Do you, do you know one thing that I've noticed? Funny you talk about. Um, there's, I mean, <clears throat> I mean, 
where do you start on this one? But when things don't go well at QPR, Les, I mean, I've criticised Les as well for some of the signings in the deal of F that he's done that I've been like, really? You signed him for that? But he's learned this trade. I've always said that. But what I noticed, if Les gives a job to someone who's, let's call it what it is, a black person from the other, he knows well like a mate, People ask questions, but people have been giving jobs to mates of football for donkey's years. But because it's now a QPR, thank God, hopefully we're trying to break down the stereotype of racism yeah. and everything else. We've got high-level black people on merit, it has to be yeah. said, in jobs. And I look at people saying this and, and saying, oh, yeah, f- jobs for the boys and stuff. And I'm just like, really? Well, let me tell you this. Let's, lose, let's use our club, QPR, for example. Uh, yeah. Mark Hughes came in. He bought with him. Eddie Nizvecki bought with him. Um, oh, God. Mark Bowen. <laughs> yeah. They go to every club he goes to. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Harry Redknapp. Who did he bring in? He's, Joe he's Jordan. Able, Joe Jordan and Kevin Bond. No one says a word. No yep. one says a word. They're all white guys. No one yep. says a word. Because the, the, the issue that you have around, and this is an issue around whiteness, white privilege, it's the norm. Because white is seen as the norm. Les does it. It's not normal. And until mm. we get past that in our heads, because what Les is doing is the exact same as Harry Redknapp, is the exact same as, as, as Mark Hughes, but it isn't. Because white behavior is seen as the norm. It's okay. It's, it's the normal thing to do. I can list half a dozen managers who bring their own people, who bring their own people, who are all white, and it's okay. A black manager does it. Chris Powell and Alex Dyer, for example, he <clears throat> got pelters for that because he's black. Mm. All of a sudden, some because it's not seen as the normal thing. It isn't, and and that happens in life in general. We can't get our heads past. You know, we're conditioned. Everything around us informs us that white is the norm. White behavioural practices are the norm. Anything else is not the norm because it's all obviously in the minority and this this is an example of that um les and i spoke to les about it i've interviewed les when i was at kick it out interviewed him told him asked him about that and he took a deep breath and said "Maltz, you know i went les i know i know les really well i know les but for the sake of this interview yet you have to talk about it he's like do i have to yes and he explained look for me it's the best person for the job that's it that is it. I mean, you know, in, within their academy, I know uh, Manisha Taylor, they've got women coaching in, them, in, in, in their, their male academy because they're the best people for the job. Yeah. And I, I did some work with, 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 with Les, and I think it was Lee Hoos, around, yeah. around their, um, you know, uh, 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 best practices. And there is a lot that other clubs could learn from how QPR work in terms of their academy staff and, and the ethos behind. There's a lot that clubs could learn. I, I, I can tell you that for a fact because I've sat and interviewed them and sat and listened to them and watched them in action. So I understand that. It irritates me. But, you know, as far as I'm concerned, there are, there are a lot of terrible managers who've been terrible, bought big, big staffs. Sam Allardyce brings a cast of thousands. <laughs> Not a problem. Not a problem. Indeed. We have to get past that. So the, the, th- the thing is, so Kevin, so the, the thing is, go, going back to QPR, so something interesting you said earlier on as well, is like, 
to me, Kick It Out should definitely be a united front of no matter what colour you are. Because let's face it, you don't have to be of a certain minority. Like, you don't have to be Irish to be appalled at anti-Irish racism or Muslim to be appalled at um, people who don't like Muslims or Jewish, etc., etc., etc. And that, you're right. I remember watching th- these things, the T-shirts, and, 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 and a lot of the white players seem to be uncomfortable. I'm thinking, no, this is, this is about you. It's about me. It's about the guy beside it. Because it should not know colour. Prejudice should be stamped out from everyone. We don't, we, we're all brothers and sisters in this. It, it doesn't make sense to me that we exclude certain people just because they might not fit the criteria. You, you could have someone in kick it out who maybe not be from a, a, a minority, but gets mm. it. Does that make sense, Paul? Well, I, I understand exactly what you're saying. I, I genuinely understand. And in a perfect world, you are so right. Unfortunately, me and you step out into the street and walk wherever we walk. What is highlighted is that we are different. Yeah, and that's true. We have to acknowledge that. It's, it's our ba- behaviour of and around that that makes the difference. That's, that's, mm. that's, that's for me what happens. I can remember many years ago playing for Charlton at Millwall. I think we drew two all. And I'd driven there, parked in the car park. Me and my wife and a friend of mine who's white. My wife is white. Drove out of the, the ground, turned left, 100 yards up the road, got stopped by a police van with 15 policemen in it. I'm in a Charlton tracksuit. He pulls me out. I get out of my car and I'm fuming. And well, you know what? Actually, I wasn't fuming. I actually wasn't fuming because it was part of the course for me. I, I actually probably was quite rude. Um, and I just said, he said, you know, it, uh, we pulled you up because you threw something mysterious into the boot of your car, which actually was my bag with, with huge Charlton badges on each side. Mm. And I've got the Charlton tracksuit on with the biggest badge you could ever see. And there'd just been a game at Charlton. But I looked, I looked suspicious. Oh, now, Lord. that's the thing. When I talk about difference, that won't happen to a white guy. It, it just won't. It, it really won't. And that's, yeah. that, when, when we talk about you know, things being the same, we're not the same. And I think it's important. And I don't say that in an aggressive manner. I say that in, it's, in, it's important to acknowledge it. It's like when people say they don't see colour. Of course they see colour. Of course they see colour. How you react to it. Because we see the things. When people say, I actually get irritated when people say they don't see colour. Because what you're, a huge part of me is the colour of my skin. You're telling me now that that doesn't matter. That, that's what you're telling me. The truth of the matter is, we do see colour. Like, we hear accents. I mean, when people, a lot, you know, when people talk about what's happening to Muslim people and stuff like that. Paul, you know what I'm talking about. I used to say, well, hold on. I've lived through that. This kind of mm. prejudice and racism happened to Irish people. I, I lived yeah. with Irish people who were vilified when I was a kid growing up. I've lived with it. I've seen it. So this is nothing new. It's just this time round, it's the, the Muslim people that are getting it. Now, the cycle goes round again. It may be someone else. But the racist behaviour is still the same. Paul, you'll know that. Yeah, you know that. The racist behaviour is still the same. It's just different people on the receiving end. And that's what we've got to change. Do you think from a... From a Football perspective, then, because Paul and I discussed this on probably six or six out of the seven episodes so far. Yeah, but it seemed to have got worse in the last season or so. Are we just more susceptible to listening to stuff, or is it more media coverage? Obviously, virtually every game, every weekend, there was reports of a player being abused. There was players, parents, and players, mothers, brothers, and sisters being abused in the stand and that kind of stuff. You think well. What, is it is it getting worse? 
And then, of course, no. with, with Rudiger, you know, that, that may not have happened. We, you, you just have no idea whether he, what, what he heard was what he thought he heard. Two seasons ago... This, You're going to irritate me in a minute. Happened. You're going to irritate me. In a, you're going to, I'm going to lose it with you in a minute, okay. just so you know. Go on. Well, look, the thing about the Rudiger thing is, because it wasn't proven, everyone is now questioning whether, whether he heard what he heard. Let me tell you something now. As a black guy, I, I, if, if I heard it, trust me, I heard it. Yeah, yeah. Because no. it is the most, it is the, when someone does that, it, 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 it is like an electric shock to your body. It is just the most, it's the scariest thing you'll ever hear. It's the most diminishing thing. You know, mm. it, it challenges just everything about you. You know, it, it, it is, someone is looking down on you. And, and it, I, 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 for what I go through, I would never make it up because well, no, of no, what no. I've experienced. No, so, I'm not suggesting that Rudy was making it. I'm just saying that, that was the idea, that, that was the, the press coverage was, well, did he hear it? I mean, why, yeah, would, he have, exactly why right. would he have said it? Yeah, well, the thing about it is, you, you know, I, I actually worked on a radio show where um, we, were talk, we were discussing it as, the, as the, um, the outcome came out. And the guy I was presenting with, I had to have a pop at him because even his manner changed. All of a sudden, it had gone from, this is disgraceful, to, well, maybe he didn't hear it. Maybe he just heard something else. Yeah. I had to have a pop at him. I had a pop at him off air. I didn't want to haul him over the coals on air. I had a pop at him off air. What I did say to him was, look, listen to how your terminology and vocabulary is changing. You now become the problem because you are now challenging the victim. And what happens a lot with racism is because we're frightened or we don't know how to deal with the issue, the issue doesn't become the issue. The validity of the person talking about it becomes the issue. Yeah. So we now we spend more time on did Rudiger hear it or not? Because we can deal with that, but we can't deal with the fact that he heard it and how we deal with that. We, we don't know what to do about that. And that's the problem. Because the problem there is closing stadiums. The problem there is uh, closing sections. The problem there is we're at the point where docking points and suspending people. Yeah. And people don't want to do that. So it's far easier to challenge Rudiger than to go down the road of, oh, yeah, actually, of we have to go and deal with this. And that's, that's, that's where we are. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I would genuinely be surprised if a black player came made up that he'd been racially abused because you are being singled out by a group of fans based <coughs> on your, your skin colour. Yeah. The, I can't explain to you how horrible a feeling that is. That it just is not something that someone would go away and make up. I, I, I would be, if that, if that was the truth, I would be genuinely shocked yeah. that a black guy would say, no, no, no he called me this. Uh, and, and then go, no, I made it up. Because I know, I know what, what it's like. I, I know, and it's not just words, it's people's behaviour also. I mean, I've been in, in high-end restaurants with people, group of white people, where the guy serving me is looking at me as if to say, should you be here? Really? And, it, and when someone calls you names, that's where it takes you. Yeah. It, it, it actually challenges your worth as a black guy. And that's why I really would be genuinely surprised. <clears throat> and that's why it irritates me sometimes when people do challenge whether, well, did he really hear it? Because I'm telling you now, there's no black person I know who hasn't heard what they've heard. 
And no. I've heard it. I've heard it. And, and definitely, I've been challenged before. And I keep saying to people, I heard what I heard. I heard what I heard. It's, it's, yeah. it's funny you say, you say that. I, I remember years ago, um, Charlton playing at Rangers. And Chris Paul was always seemed to be Mr. Cool. I don't know what he's like in real life, Paul. I don't know the guy. But he always seemed really cool and really calm and nothing would, you know, get under yeah, his, his, his mindset and he, his focus. And um, he came for a corner and he picked the ball up and something was said, and I didn't hear it, it was from the, the lower loft. And my mate went, oh, I think that's racist. And Chris went, just pulled a face that was just shock and foul because that's an area that he's grown up in. And I could instantly see it was. Do you know what I mean? I didn't need anyone to yeah. tell me. I looked at his re- reaction to it. It's the same as when I used to play football and someone over here and someone would say, oh, give it to the paddy. And I'm like, what? Yeah. Who's that? You know, and that sort of thing. Kind of like, no, it's just wrong. And that, that horrified me because at QPR, when I was growing up, and thank God for it, we were very much a multicultural club. And, yes. You know, and, and I'm proud of that. And I, 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 I generally, I hear it sometimes more in the last few years. And I think we all know what the undercurrent is. That is no one will yes. say it, but we all know what's going on. Um, and I hate it. We as fans have got a role to play in that as well. We are the ones that can act as police on the terraces and seek to whatever. Just say, "Oi, what are you doing?" You know, go and say it to them in the street and see what happens. You'll be arrested. So how can you say it in the football ground and not yeah. be arrested and say it in the street and quite rightly be be, be taken down for it because it is a vile thing. But That's the bit that needs to be in a crowd. In the street, you can't really hide. In a, in a crowd of twenty thousand people, that person can shrink under a. Crowd they can't hide, Kevin. Someone's heard I mean, it. Someone knows who said it. Yeah, but people are, people are afraid to do it. That's the problem. People, well, I think people are afraid to, to come forward and go to a steward. They shouldn't be. I've done it. I've done it, do it, do it anymore. Kevin, they don't have to do that anymore. See, for me, there's, there's a couple of things here that, that, that do irritate me. I've heard that before, and I understand it, but within every ground, there's a te- number you can text. Yes. Kick it out, also have an app. <clears throat> but you can you can download and you can report anonymously. You can you can report anonymously. I mean I look at for example when Raheem Sterling went to pick that ball up and was abused by these guys who sit in the corner. Oh at Chelsea, yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you now. Though that's not the first time. That's not an isolated incident. So those people who sit around there week in, week out know who those people are. They know that but they choose to do nothing about it. That's the mm. issue that we've got. Mm. Because if you would kick it out, Zap. You can upload videos, you can upload uh, uh, um, uh, photos, you can, and it's very easy to use. Yet if I was to say to you, that there was a time where I was working there, they do six monthly uh, uh, reviews of, of, of the uh, stats on, on how many uh, 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 reports there are. Now, if I was to say to you, the reports went up for a six-month period, 80%, but they went up from 200-odd to 400-odd. Now, this is over a six-month period, okay, of all professional games, wow. but also grassroots games. Yeah. Okay? You consider the many thousands of grassroots games that go, go on on a Saturday and a Sunday, as well as all of the uh, 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 pro games, academy games, non-league games that go on of a weekend for six months. Mm. 400 reports. People aren't reporting. And that's the thing. People aren't, people aren't reporting. And this is players, this is fans. The opportunity to report has never been easier. But you have to ask yourself why people, they can't keep saying, oh, you know, it's dangerous. No, it's not. It's because people don't want to. They don't want to get involved. 
They'd rather moan about it because that's, that's what they want to do. They want to moan about the outcome. They don't want to be involved in the process. And until we change that, people won't report. They won't report. And Rudiger now, as far as Rudiger has actually said, you know what? I won't even talk about it anymore. I won't report anything anymore. That's what he said. Yeah. Look at the way I'm wrong. being vilified now. Now, most black players now will look at Rudiger and they'll ask him for his advice. And he'll go, you know what? I wouldn't even bother. I wouldn't even bother. Because the process I hope that doesn't happen. Is, no one does anything. That is what I can assure you. He's already said that. He's already said, I will not. I will not. Because the process is so poor because you've got people involved who clearly don't know how to deal with it. They don't know how to deal with it. And the outcome, because it can't be proved, as, as, as Kev just said, 10 people within a crowd, a section of a thousand, say stuff and then hide. Unfortunately, because the majority sit on their hands, we're going to have to hurt the majority to get to minority. Yeah, that's what we're going to have to do. Well, your point there about the, the people who it's it's their job to implement the 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 fines or the findings are they the ones that need educating? Yes, More. most definitely, most 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 definitely, most definitely, because you know. But then also, you've got to look at the law. The law did, did demand proof. So in the Rudiger case, if they can't prove it, they can't prove it. That doesn't mean it didn't happen. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. So, from, from it, and, and the thing about it is you look at social media, so many people say, yep, I know where it was, I heard it. Da, 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 da. They'll talk to social media, they won't report it. Right. The whole thing is bizarre. If people hear it, report it. And you can report it anonymously. No one needs to know. But they have proof now of the seat number and all of that, and, or they have a picture or whatever. But people aren't prepared to do that. And that's the challenge. Why aren't people prepared to report these things happening? Because they are happening. <laughs> I think the question I would ask myself is a, and I know QPR are quite hot on this, but as a football CEO and stuff, is how come we can pick someone up with a bottle of beer in his hand? Which is fair enough; it's, it's not allowed. I get that, but we can't pinpoint them for that sort of thing. So I think he's right. I think you're right, Paul. I think it needs to be the mindset needs to change. The punishment needs to be harsher. And I look forward to today when we don't talk about it anymore because we're all too busy slagging each other off being crap footballers. Yeah. That's how it's going to happen. Yeah. No, absolutely, gentlemen. Yeah. That's not going to happen because, because no, of society. Up. I mean, one of the issues, I mean, Kev, you said at the start that it seemed to, to rear its ugly head again. Mm. I'll say it, because um, we did it at Kick It Out. Once the outcome of the, the, the referendum came along, literally the next day there was a spike in discriminatory behaviour. Yes. Yeah. There was a spike. And in football, there was also a spike. So what it did, almost, it almost, it almost gave people permission. Mm-hmm. to be racist. So yeah. that is actually what happened. What happened after that is that, that people <clears throat> were now actually exposing themselves as, uh, in, in their behaviour because the, the, the referendum literally was built around immigration and it was built around scaremongering around immigration. Yeah. And, yeah. and basically what that allowed people to do was to air their grievances. And, and people actually mistakenly saw that as, well, we've got permission now to behave the way we want to behave. Yeah. And, and so those that probably were, I would say, a little bit more covert in their behaviour in football stadiums are now far more overt. They seem to have far more courage. So it's never gone away. It's just that now people are, aren't frightened to say what they've got to say. And that's what was happening more than anything else. I mean, 
if you if when Raheem Sterling got abused, you know, I was brought onto a program to talk about it. And the first thing I said was, well, if you ask Raheem Sterling, everyone's making a big deal out of this. Raheem Sterling isn't, because he probably gets that every week. If you were to actually ask him between that period that happened at Chelsea and the start of the season, how many times he'd been racially abused? In fact, people aren't going to ask him because they don't want to know. They don't want to know because that wasn't an isolated incident. That happens every week. A lot of players. I mean, the very first week of the season, there was racist abuse on social media to black players in, in the championship and, and in the lower leagues. And it's happened yeah. virtually every single week on social media or live in the stadium. Yeah. But but if you kids, the kids there's, there's one of them, there's, there's a 12-year-old boy. Yep. What, where what on earth have you got? I mean, it's, it's, it has to come from his parents, isn't it? But it's just an incredible thing of people getting behind a key, this keyboard warrior thing. We all discuss about that. But that's just, I just found that horrifying. It's come from a child. Well, we, we've come to a point now where the platform owners have to step up. We've come yes. to a point where, you know, people are losing their lives. People are, you know, this is a real serious issue. A really serious issue um, with the abuse that people are are receiving on social media, and football can't take responsibility for that. It's not football can't be blamed for the fact that someone goes onto their keyboard and can because football can't monitor that. Football no. doesn't police that. No, but not. football seems to take the blame for it, and and that that is so unfair when <clears> you consider <throat> people have lost their lives. People have taken their lives because of. Uh, of online bullying. Yeah. You know, th- this is not, it's weird because once it's happened in football, it's like people have, you know, felt like this is the first time it's happened. It's not a new phenomena. It's been around for years, but what football does really well is highlight things. Football is a spotlight for things that happen in society. Um, but unfortunately football is charged with, you know, uh, uh, I, I suppose. Yeah. It irritates me because fo- football is charged with, with, I think educating society um, and and I suppose clearing up the ills of society. Football's charged with that, and and that's not football's responsibility because when people come out of the stadium, they walk straight into community, which makes up society. Football yes. can't clubs can't govern that. If a, if if a group of Spurs fans or whatever are racially abusing someone on the street, how is that Spurs' fault? Yeah, no, it's not. but you know until we actually deal with and this is why it won't change in football because if society doesn't get a hold of it how can football be you know football can only deal with the issues as they come within the football stadium and around the confines of football it's all they can do they can't do anything else they can't you know deal with the ills of society they they can't they can't deal with it can't do it but football has to put its 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 house in order first You're right, Steve. Nice new windows you got there. Where'd you get them from? Seasonmaster.com. Seasonmaster.com. That's right, Seasonmaster.com. It's a great price, did a fantastic job. And when it comes to secondary glazing, they were my first choice. Was that Seasonmaster.com? That's right, Seasonmaster.com. But, Mike, I've got a question for you. What's that, Steve? Why are you in my house? Shall we end your involvement in the show on a positive note. Where, yeah, sure. where, where, you played for uh, four clubs professionally. Yeah. Um, where were you happiest? Was it was there one season or one manager you played under that you kind of look back on? So, it's a, so my question, 
where we have pierced. What's the first thing that comes to mind that makes that you, that's your first memory that comes back? Uh, probably the first goal I scored at, at Norwich. Um, probably Lenny Lawrence is probably the best manager I played for because it wasn't about coaching or tactics. He actually understood me as a human being. Right. You know, we talk a lot now about the human approach, but he actually understood me. I think he was a school teacher in another life, which actually helped because his connection with the players was very good. Um, and, and, and what he'd do was, you play him well, just get the ball to him. I mean, I can remember playing poorly and he'd just say, look, I don't know what's happened with Maltz, but he's not at it. If I'm playing well, he come, I remember coming out half time and him saying, look, get the ball to him. Don't know why he's playing brilliant, but he is. Get the ball to him. But that's what he would do. He's very good with words. He's very, very good with, with you know, being able, for me anyway, mentally being able to help me to, to succeed. And, um, you know, I think that there's some clubs I went to, right time, wrong manager, without a doubt. Um, I can think of a few of those. And, you know, there were spells where, you know, management, I think poor management, I suffered with a lot. Oh. I experienced a lot of poor managers, in my opinion, who I think were more concerned with themselves and their own reputation oh, okay. than the, 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 the really wanting the team to progress. That's what I was can, can, I, can I just say one thing there, Paul? Um, when you scored against Norwich, was that a bit of payback for 76? I hope it was. <laughs> no, no payback for nothing. No, uh, you know what? I know exactly what you're saying, but no, it was just, I mean, uh, it was, it was, a, it was a wonderful thing. I mean, I, the, the weird thing was my boots had split. So I was wearing our coach, Mike Flanagan's boots, which were a oh, a Jesus, size, half, half a size bigger. So it was, you know, the, these boots were sliding all over the place on my feet. So, but it was, it was a great day. I think we won three, one. There's a lot of young players playing. Um, Decent Norwich side. Um, and it was brilliant. It was, it was really, really... Although, although um, the commentator thought I was Carl Lieben, which, which caused real ructions, actually, because my daughter, when she was, at, she was at uni in Cardiff, and she rang me one day, really quite angry. Dad, that goal at Norwich, you scored it. I said, yeah, right. I'm in the pub with my mates, <laughs> and they truly believe it's Carl Lieben that scored it. No, 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 it was me. It's fine. So she put on social media, really aggressive on social media. This is not blank, uh, 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 blank, blank, Carl Lieber. This is blank, blank, my dad. Everyone better recognise it. Some of those lines. It was, it was so, yeah, that goal has huge significance for me. And that period of time, because I'd been released by, by uh, 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 Fulham um, and, you know, kind of thought that maybe I might have to, I went and worked in the law bookshop for six months actually in Fleet Street um, yeah I went to work for Hammocks Hammocks Street, Street and Maxwell's it was very very strange because the art it's, it's a law bookshop so it's very quiet which I was not used to so in the <laughs> afternoon front desk you'd find me asleep <laughs> because I just couldn't I couldn't deal with the silence it was, re it was really really strange so but it taught me a lot and it, it, it gave me the shot in the arm that I needed that, you know, there's more to life than just football, but also that I wanted to play football. And, and so I, 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 I did get the opportunity to go back. I, weirdly enough, Charlton, uh, Fulham had a, a one more game, one more reserve game. I'd left them. They rang me up a couple of days before uh, uh, the cup final, 1987. That day, that Saturday we played, it was 
It was at Craven Cottage and it was against Charlton. And I sort of said, no, I'm not playing. Told them no. And my youth development officer said to me, no, no, go and play. So I'm on the bus the Saturday morning. I live near Shepherd's Bush. I'm on the bus, go around Shepherd's Bush roundabout, and I'm coming down the stairs to get off the bus. Now I'm not going. I'm not going. I don't want to. The way they treated me was horrible. So I was not going to play. But something made me go back up the stairs, and I sat and I went and played and played okay. Two weeks after that, um, I'm working, get a phone call from Charlton. They say, we'd like you to come on, on trial. Not come during pre-season, but when the games start. So do your own running. Came in. Uh, they gave me a month trial and signed me after two weeks. Wow. That November, <clears throat> I made my debut against Norwich. So six months before, I wasn't good enough for Fulham, who were in, I think, would be League One now. Six months later, I'm good enough for Charlton, who would have been the equivalent of the Premier League. Did yeah. you, I, I, have to, I have to ask this question, Paul, because I'm obsessed with my club. But did you ever score against Rangers? He says in a very sad voice. You know what? You say no. I, I, the only goal I played a part in was uh, at, at uh, Sellers Park. Danny Mavic's own goal. I crossed it. I had two mm. games where I should have... Uh, well, one game where I should have scored. David Seaman was in goal. And wow. I couldn't beat him. <laughs> really? Beat him. I must have had five or six shots. I couldn't beat him. He was brilliant on the day. That's about the only game I can remember. It was very strange, though, playing at, at Loftus Road because all my family were there, all my mates were there. I'm even looking at the place. I used to stand in the loft on the right hand side. It was really strange, really, really strange the first time I played at, at, at Loftus Road. Very bizarre because I just. It's somewhere I've always, always wanted to play, but I wanted to play for QPR. And funnily enough, when I left, when I left Charlton, uh, before I went to Bristol City, uh, he phoned me, Joe Francis, um, wow. coming on trial. So I did. Uh, and it was the hardest thing I've ever known because he was brutal with players. Absolutely yeah, brutal. Terrible, terrible Monday or Tuesday or something, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, Terror Tuesday. And I used to speak mm. to the players about that. Some of the players used to have nightmares, couldn't sleep the Monday. And and I I did some of the running and it was and Jay Francis with his dodgy knees used to join in the running so he was very much oh, fit. I can do it you can do it so I did I did I you know did most of preseason with them must have lost two stones something like that but and then played 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 all right played really well and um, it was when he was saying to me Paul um, the directors need to see you play I sort of stopped and went well directors don't pick the team. You've seen me play five, probably four or five games for you now. And I think this was the weekend. They were going to play Spurs at, at uh, Loftus Road. I think it was a Monday night. And we, I was talking to him and saying, look, so next week it will be, who will it be, the dinner lady next week who needs to see me play? Because that's how I was. I was. I was quite forthright. No, no, no. You've seen me play enough. You've seen me play enough. It's not like you're going to pay money for me because I'm, I'm a not... I'm, I'm a free. So I'm not going to cost you loads. This is about you. So I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll go away now. You decide what you want to do. Because I'm not going to play anymore because I've done enough. Because what I don't want is for you to go, no, and then I've got no other clubs. So I'm going to go and find out from other clubs because I've committed a lot of time to you. Went away down south with, with them and everything. And um, it never came back to me. Oh. That's me. And I That's a surprise. Wow. That surprised me, Paul, because I always thought Jerry, because I've met Jerry a few times at QPR things, he's 
he's not one to mince his words. And that surprised me. But then, of course, I remember how he was kicked out was when Rodney Marsh came back as the so-called director of football. And that was Thompson's way of getting rid of uh, Jerry Francis. So, yeah, that, that well, does that, ring a bell. That's terrible, really. It was, dis- it was dis- You know what? It was disappointing because here I am on the precipice of playing for the team that I love. And I couldn't yeah. believe it. It was just, it was the dream of dreams coming true. And I'm just thinking, and, and actually I did the preseason, did fine. Played really well. The play, the, what, the biggest test for me is to get the acceptance of the players. And yeah, that I was did. a tight group as well. Yeah, and I did, and I did, and, and I did. And that, that for me was the, that's when I knew, yeah, I'm fine. Because new players coming in are competition, without a doubt. But the minute I came in, they knew that I was good enough. They knew that I could improve the side. They knew, so they were fine. Um, and he was too, to my face. But then I don't know what happened. I was very dis- I was distraught. I had Bristol City in the back pocket. Let's put it that way, because the manager was Tony Poonish, who, who was a friend of a friend. So, uh-huh. but that was that. I always look back on that and just think, yeah, that was disappointing. That was really disappointing. But you know, um, that's that's how it goes. You know, uh, I, I did pull the shirt on for Queens Park Rangers, albeit in friendlies. <laughs> uh, that will do for me. That'll have to do. Uh, I'm not going to. I hate to make you feel bad, Paul, but you know Carl Liebman played a whole second half for QPR. Don't even talk to me. Don't even talk to me. I don't want to know. I, I don't want to know. Thanks for that. You've made my day. Thank in you. In fairness, I'm one of the few people on earth who <laughs> scored two goals in one game. Listen, don't knock that Carl. Don't knock no, Carl we Lieber. loved him. He, he, don't we knock Carl, Carl Lieber. Lieber. I, I, I'll, t- I'll tell you now, I've played with, <clears throat> I've played with some very, very, very good centre-forwards. Some very good centre forwards. <clears throat> he is up there with them. Yeah, he was a good player actually. Way too late. The thing about Carl was he he was a centre forward with a midfielder's brain. That that's what he was. Nice. Yeah. Highly intelligent <clears throat> footballer who didn't have. See how big and, str- and tall he was. He wasn't <clears throat> great in the air. Everyone expected big man things from him, but he was a yeah. midfielder. For me, he's got a midfielder's brain. Very sharp. Very analytical, worked things out quickly. His link play was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Um, he could pick a pass. He was intelligent, brave. He went eighty odd goals without scoring, at games without scoring, and and played because there was no one else. He shouldn't have been playing as a teenager. He shouldn't have been playing. But uh, that's, you know, that's interesting. No, I, I, you know, so uh, for me, he is probably one of the best centre forwards I've played with, and I've played with some good ones. Now we, 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 we was at Wimbledon for a very short, for two years. We loved him. He was the amount of effort that bloke put into a game was was extraordinary. He didn't have to score any goals, but that was, it was you didn't mind because everything else he brought to the game was so yeah. good. Carl wasn't a goal scorer. Carl wasn't a goal scorer, and for me, if uh, Carl got if Carl got twelve to fifteen goals a season, that's the equivalent of someone else getting thirty. That, that's what he was. Yeah. But it was about what he brought to the game, how he linked play, how he ask his centre forwards partners who scored 25 goals a season and got moves. Gordon Watson, Paul Williams, people like that, who played with Carl up front and, and got moves because yeah. he set up a lot of their goals. Oh, yeah. Ask them whether he was good enough. Because he, he was a player's player. Players loved him. Loved him. I'll tell you another thing as well. Funny you say that. I had exactly the same conversation the other day about Paul Goddard mm. with uh, QPR fans and saying that, you know, Paul was an exceptional player, but never really got the credit he deserved because he kept giving the ball to Clive Allen. 
<laughs> yeah, I think he's, I, I, I think Paul Goddard was uh, hugely underrated. Hugely underrated. Hugely underrated. A better, far better player than people give him credit for. And for some odd reason, that happens with some players. I don't know why. Maybe they're not big personalities. Because the thing yeah. about big personalities is the ball finds them all the time. And the smaller, the smaller personalities, they seem to go missing in games. You know, people pass, you know, bypass them because they go to the bigger name because they're bigger personalities. Like you said, he kept giving the ball to Clive Allen, who was a huge personality. But they don't get the credit they deserve. And he was a very, very good player. Never really got the credit he deserved. Uh Can I ask you one last question from my point of view then, Kevin? Sorry, you can come in. Did you take take part in that mad game against Sunderland, by any chance, in the playoff final? Was it Sunderland? Oh, don't get me. See, you had to bring that up, didn't you? (laughs) Oh, my God. Well, that season, I'd only played eight games. I'd been injured virtually all the season. Come back. Mm. I'd come back, play a couple of games get injured because I had a really bad back, which was basically, it was mistreated. Poorly diagnosed, to be truthfully honest, which is why oh, I'd come back, train, play, and then miss a month. So I played, yeah, played eight, probably eight, eight games maybe that season. Came back in the semi-final second leg. Uh, we, I think we'd drawn with Ipswich at, at their place and beat them at ours. I think, and I'd come on a sub in that. So I'm sitting there thinking, okay, we're playing in the final at Wembley. I think it's between me and another lad, John Robinson, who were going to be sub. John had fractured his tibia and, and he was on his way back. Fit, strong, and, he, and I think it was... Curbs had sort of picked the squad. We're in it. One more place on the bench. It was between me and John Robinson. And the day before we... Last training session before we were going to get on the coach and go to the hotel by Wembley, he still hadn't decided, Kurt. He literally hadn't. Uh, and he wasn't one for looking you in your face because he couldn't actually front up. He couldn't look at you and go, look. So I kid you not, this is what happened. Uh, Keith Peacock came to us, me and John. We, we, we're, we're milling about. He said, we're going to play a five-a-side match just to finish. The best player in that's going to be sub. That's what he said. Now, oh, me and John Robinson wow. were great mates. We looked at each other, hugged each other, and then for the next 20 minutes, pissed about. <laughs> because it was the nonsense. Now, unbeknown to all of the, Yeah, pissed about. Pissed about. We did. We pissed about. We, he, he played with his left foot. I played with my right. We pissed about because we thought it was a nonsense. Brilliant. Make a decision. Make a decision. We're great mates. So, but unbeknown to all of them, probably 10 minutes into the session, I'd felt my, my hamstring. So I knew I wasn't going to be. But I just wanted to know whether I was going to be picked. Because I'd have had to turn it down. Um, so I knew I wasn't going to be there. And sitting on the bench, sitting up on, on the bench, walking around Wembley and knowing you're, not, you're part of it, but you're not part of it, was the hardest thing in my football career that I'd ever done. And winning was great. It was such a brilliant thing for the players to win. But did I feel part of it? No, didn't. Um, it was a magnificent... And, and the thing about... You know what irritates me is... It's one of the best finals at Wembley. Yeah. It's one definitely. of the best finals. If it had been a drab nil-niller and we'd won, I'd have took that and you could just put it to the, in the memory banks. This, for me, was one of the best finals at Wembley, without a doubt. You know, it would have been 65 all if they'd still been playing now. The two teams were so evenly matched. But two mm. very good teams. It was a really good final. And to not be part of it, from a personal point of view, was heartbreaking. It, it really was. It, it took me a long... I say it took me a long time to get over it, it probably is something that is difficult to get over. Yeah. You know? 
I never played I at Wembley again. Never had the opportunity to do it again. But played in the Premier League the following year. So, you know, takes away with one hand, gives with another. Indeed. Uh, I'm, glad, I'm, I'm glad I cheered you up. Yes, yeah, thanks. Yeah, thank you for that. Thank you. I can leave. Look. Oh, we've had such fun. You could have we? looked it up on Wikipedia before you asked the question. Oh, we wasn't in the squad. Don't ask. Don't ask. I'm just no, no. Listen, I'm just just no, no, no. It's not a pro- it actually isn't a problem, you know, because it's not something I shy away from. I'll be honest with you. It was, it was deeply disappointing yeah. in terms of professional. Didn't Johnny Byrne play in that game as well, Paul? Who? Johnny Byrne. Didn't he play for Sunderland that day, I think? I think Byrne was playing for Sunderland. I'm pretty sure he was. I could be wrong. Anyway, I don't think he did. I think Quinn right, and Phillips Quinn. played up front for them, mate. Yeah, he's got... right. he yeah. may have been on the bench. I'm not. I'm not quite sure. But well, no, but it was. It was. You know what? I'm not knocking it. I mean, you know, the thing about football and and that that people fans don't understand is the disappointment and the upset that players yeah. deal with. That you know, players deal with so much, and the mental aspect is huge because. You're in the team, you're not in the team. The manager thinks you're, you're good. He doesn't think you're any good. The players don't accept you. They do. You know, you think this team is beneath you. You know, there's so many things that go on between 20 to 5 on a, on a Saturday and 1.30 on the following Saturday. There's so much goes on emotionally and mentally for players that's yeah. being highlighted now because they're training, but they're training. Training is about training towards a goal of playing. At this moment in time, you're not doing that. You don't know when mm. it's going to happen, you know. And then you've got s- s- idiots like Matt Hancock telling you you should you should be, you know, giving up half your money when not every player is on loads. No, yeah, that was ridiculous. This ridiculous thing he said. It's shameful. It's shameful. But you know, then all the captains got together and what they've said, which is you know, give these players credit. They're not stupid. Is We'll do it, but we want the money to go to where we want it to go to. Yes, that's, that's entirely fair, isn't it? Exactly. Which is absolutely <laughs> brilliant. Yeah. And then we get all the billionaires in the country who, you know, who, who support these political campaigns who are in the background. No one asks them. <laughs> no it's, a real shame. it's a real shame he didn't turn his, his guns on uh, Richard Branson, who sued the NHS. Maybe you get someone like him to pay something back that he took off the NHS well, rather you know, than picking up footballers. The weird thing for me is, um, I mean, I, I, I do management consultancy and things like that. And Richard Branson has always been a great example of how to treat your employees and how to treat your staff. Can't use him anymore. No. <clears throat> can't use him. No. I mean, I'm stunned. But one of the things about this, you are always going to see people slightly differently. You know, true colours may come out and things like that. I've looked at Richard Branson and I've just thought, wow, for all the, he's, you know, He's a guy and, and he's, he's someone you like and he'll look after you. Wow. When it actually comes to it, completely different. Yeah. Which is very disappointing. No, it's going to be a lot of... I'm just, by the way, while we did this podcast, it's interesting. I've just got a flash up that um, Newcastle United might be sold and another horrible human being can get out of football. So that's interesting. Well, if I mean, if Newcastle know. fans listen to that, I hope that happens to you guys. Who, you know, who's, who's, that who's, who's the buyer, Paul? We don't know yet. I mean, it's just come up as I'm talking. He's, he's in negotiation with someone. Hopefully, it's someone half decent. Um, because, again, someone who gets into football who should be nowhere near a paddling pool, never mind a football club, is Well, my, my worry for all of this, my worry for all of this when clubs do change hands now is not, wow, fantastic, brilliant for Newcastle. I don't even think about that anymore. No. I just think about, who, who's this guy? Who's this guy yeah. or person? Who are they? Um, Hedge funds sometimes, even. Exactly. Because I look at Charlton. We were... You know, when Duchatelet came in initially, everyone was blown away by what he wanted to do. 
when these new lot came in, everyone was blown away. I remember sitting there saying, hold on a sec. Hold on a sec. We've, we've heard all this before. So caution. Caution. And you look at Newcastle, who have had a dictator in charge. It's been incredibly bad for football that someone like him has been allowed to get away with treating people, managers, players, the fans, you know, the people that work for him the way he has mm. done. Um, and people like this, they tarnish our game. They really do. And, um, you know, the sooner they're gone, the better. But who they go to is also of concern because, you know, Premier League makes serious money. You know, and if you get it right at Newcastle, I don't see how you can't. 52,000 fans every single week, I don't see how you can't make money. Yeah, but it's kind of, you'd think it's a, it's a, it's a 100% guarantee that you're going to do well there, but somehow he's managed to alienate <laughs> virtually yeah. every fan. Extraordinary. Yeah. If it's, yeah. His issue was bringing in Dennis Wise and then the, the London Mafia that the Newcastle fans didn't like. And it's just a strange thing of just not realising how important being from Newcastle is to Newcastle fans. It's but, just, you've got to understand that before you take over, surely. Well, you have, to, you have to do your due diligence. And the problem yeah. is, I mean, again, I go back to Charlton. You know, yeah. Duchatelet had um, his chief exec called the Charlton fans' customers. Now, oh, yeah, remember that. Yeah, yeah. you don't do fans' customers, it's the club where the fans went on the pitch and cleared up the valley so that they could actually have a, a, a club there. Yeah. You can't call them, of all fans. So that tells you how little owners know about their clubs. And yeah. I spoke about it right at the start, this detachment from the community because clubs are, owners only see clubs as a financial asset. They don't understand how linked these clubs are historically to the community. And Newcastle is one of those clubs where the fans are hugely important to the club. And Ashley's got that wrong. So the next guy who comes in, you know, historically, clubs were always owned by the rich guy who lived in the area, who yeah. understood the area. Now that's, been, that's gone. Now you've got people who, are, who actually don't even live in the country. Du Chatelet didn't live in, in England. No, no. Didn't even, so he didn't even know what was going on. And that, that's where we are. So this disconnect with the community is, is, is a huge issue for anyone going, owners going into clubs. You have to know your club. You have to know. So when you bring the London Mafia in, what are you saying? It's a slap in the face for all of those Geordies. It's, it's yeah. a huge slap in the face. They want one of their own. Give them what they want. Hope someone comes in and does that because football, I think, needs a strong Newcastle. I think it does. Yeah, no, you're right. So, I think we better. Can I just say one quick story? Sorry, sorry, guys. Tell you this quick story. You were the manager. I know, I'm terrible. I know, I know, war and peace and all that. Anyway, there was a QPR manager. He will remain nameless who liked umbrellas. I didn't like umbrellas being the case, but we'll leave it okay. there. Yeah, yeah. And we had a meeting with all the fans, people, there was a kick up the R's, there was Open All R's, which is our podcast we worked on, and a few other things with the R's in it, surprisingly. So we, this person turned around, and, and after telling us, he's done a whole spreadsheet on the club's history, the club's culture, and everything, and how he's going to get it right. What's it with the R's then? Sorry? Yeah, he goes, what's it with all this R's then? Like, kick up the R's, open all R's. <laughs> and I was like, oh no. Oh no, this is not going to end well. <laughs> Are you um, kidding me? No, I'm not. Wow. 
and it's 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 and I was just like they come in they they they, they say what they think the fans want to say they get the PR but when it comes down to it you, it will always come out won't it Paul it'll always come out they have oh yeah oh yeah they're only, only, only a gun for hire on there let's be honest sometimes that is, and that's that difference. is what they are yeah. like, you know what I would prefer them to say that I would respect yeah. them being honest and saying look I don't know a lot about the club I'm willing to learn but ultimately yeah. I'm here to help the club win yeah. that, I respect that because right from the start don't, give, don't kiss the badge and then, then look at the badge and go oh whose badge is this for again <laughs> don't, don't give me yeah. that because it's insulting I mean I feel sorry for fans at the moment <clears throat> never used to I do now because I recognise the crap that they have to go through week in, week out at their football clubs. I, I, I yeah. just don't get I, I mean, I, I big time respect for fans. We go, we go through a lot, but then again, we go back the next week and go through it again. That's why we it's end up doing podcasts. <laughs> the love of the game. Yeah. But okay, so... I, 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 I watched football in, in the early 70s. You can do that. You can do bloody anything, I tell you. Tell <laughs> yeah, you survived that. You can... Another season in a championship. <laughs> and but, your eyesight's all right. <laughs> actually, fine. actually, actually, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. It never surprises me when Northern Irish players are great at throw-ins. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> anyway, so Paul Mortimer, thank you very much indeed for giving us so much of your time. You'd be brilliant, mate. Thank you. You're very welcome. We only covered half of what we were going to talk about, but that's absolutely lovely. So, Paul, thanks so much indeed. Good luck with everything. Future thanks. Paul and I know each other from from a, a radio station that is uh, no longer um, in existence, is it? So, exactly right. Fortunately, yeah. so that's, that's, um, that's how we know each other. Anyway, so, Paul, thank you very much indeed. Please get on with the rest of your day. Okay, lovely. Time. Thank you for having me. I'd love to come back. Let me know. Well, we Definitely. Cheers. Definitely. Cheers, gentlemen. We'll meet in the pub and have a drink. Love to. See you One soon. Day. Good man. Cheers, Paul. Cheers. Bye. Paul Mortimer, former uh, Aston Villa, Crystal Palace, Charlton twice, Bristol City. Midfield player, thanks for joining us. That was fantastic. Um, didn't mean to go on that long. You did say earlier on, Paul, that you wanted this to be a short podcast, and um, we've actually this is now the longest one. But um, Paul was great. What a great, great guest to have on. Um, so he wants to be back on again. So we've got that in writing. Well, not writing, but it's recorded that he wants to be back on. We'll have him back on, maybe in a year's time, and we'll actually talk about the other things that we were going to talk about, other than other than that. So let's end on today's. Uh, podcast, not on today's podcast, let's end today's podcast, um, with our Tales of the Disappointed. So, I caught up with um, a chap called David Alexander, who is a fan of perennial Scottish underachievers Clyde. Um, So let's hear about what made David choose to support Clyde when he lives in Glasgow, and he could have supported a couple of other teams. And thank you very much. And I'm presuming I'm actually thanking myself for the link. But uh, this is a part of the show we call Tales of the Disappointed, where we talk to a supporter of a club that's underachieved or in some cases has, has never achieved. Uh, and I'm not saying which category today's guest comes into, but I'm joined by David Alexander, who supports Clyde. David, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. No, no problem. Thank you for your time. Now, for those of you who are not necessarily familiar with uh, Scottish football or even Scottish geography, uh, Glasgow, the city of Glasgow, is on the River Clyde. Clyde are currently uh, in the third tier of Scottish football, so Scottish Division One, um, mid-table currently. Um, so the question that has to be asked, David, is: <laughs> you, 
you're born in Glasgow, you're from Glasgow, you could have, I'm not saying you should have done, but you could have followed other Celtic or Rangers and kind of been a permanently successful other than Rangers few years in the low divisions um, and just enjoyed winning trophies every year. But you chose to support Clyde. So the question is, and I don't mean this to be demeaning at all because I support London's 12th biggest club. Why do you support Clyde? Um, well, I actually come from a, a small village not too far from where the River Clyde um, starts, but that's, ah. that's actually nothing to do with it. Um, <laughs> my, my dad is a Clyde supporter. His, uh, his dad and um, his dad were, were all Clyde supporters. Um, so I think I remember primary school, my, my best friend was a Celtic fan. And I came home from school one day and told my dad I was a Celtic supporter. Um, <laughs> from that day on, he decided, <laughs> nope, that's not happening. Um, and he took me to my, my first game, um, which was in Hamilton. Um, when Clyde were ground sharing there, um, ah. pretty much been going going there ever since. And um, I suppose when they were in Hamilton, they were kind of my local club because kind of coming from down the deepest, darkest South Lanarkshire, the the the, the nearest club to us was probably Motherwell, Hamilton, or going the other direction, Queen of the South. Um, ah, yeah. So, Actually, turned out quite handy at the time. Started watching it because it was it was only um, not that far up the road. But now living in living in Glasgow and Clyde and Cumbernauld, it's still still pretty handy. So yeah, been going ever going ever since then. So when was that? But I haven't to ask you your, your age. When did you start going? Oh, I must have been about seven seven or eight years old. Um, and then my dad just started taking me and my my two younger brothers, and we were the the only Clyde supporters in the in the school that that kind of made it a bit of a, a novelty as well yeah i had that obviously only women found at school i mean i don't you know it's it's it, i kind of liked it it's kind of it gives you a bit of a bit of a unique sort of feel you might have fitted in with the rest of the crowd but the fact that you support a, a football team that everybody else didn't support in my day i'm talking about late 70s early 80s everyone supported liverpool even though they'd never been and probably still haven't been i mean it's you've obviously been to hundreds of games i've been to over a thousand games in my team it's kind of a it's kind of a nice thing to have, isn't it? It's kind of some. It's part of your personality. It's oh, yeah, he's the it's, he's it's the Clyde part fan. Part of that routine. I mean, I mean, seeing the the summer when there's there's no football, you forget. Yeah, you, you forget what day of the week it is. You need that Saturday <laughs> football to to kind of even up your week. Although the the close seasons are getting pretty pretty short now, and maybe yeah. maybe sometimes you get a bit sick of football. But um, yeah, so you need that to balance it. Yeah, I think you're right. So. So you've obviously been going for some time, even that we didn't discover how old you are, but you've been going since, since you were a child. So what, what, is, what makes Clyde a special club? Because, I mean, you can, you've not been in the Scottish Premier League in the time I've been alive, and that's over 50 years, if I can remember. So what makes well, you no, go? We've not, we've not been in the, the Premier League in, in my lifetime. Um, the closest we ever, we ever got was... Um, I think the early two thousands, um, and we 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 were one goal away from um, promotion to to the Premier League, and we could have we could have actually won it ourselves. It was in our hands, but yeah, we threw it away in the in the ah. end. And Inverness Cali Thistle went up, and everyone knows the story about about them. Oh, they so went up, and we went down. But it's it's a community. Um, 
you go yeah. there and all your your friends are there and they're not necessarily friends that who grew up with or where I came from. You make friends from actually people going to watch the game mm. and I play for the supporters team. Oh, okay. Every guy who plays in that is um, a match going fan and it's a, it's a great way to just sort of social socialise and um, kind of have a great community around about football. Yeah, no, I agree entirely. So, um, what's your average gate currently? The last couple. We're of probably seasons? sitting round about six six hundred uh, at the moment. Um, so it's 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 always difficult um, trying to get people. And even though we're, we've played well over the past couple of, couple of years, it's the gates haven't really risen much uh, that that high. And we sit there playing in an eight thousand seater stadium. So we've uh, got yeah. we've got we've got room for expansion. But would you want it any other way though? Are you are you personally happy the fact that you're in? Obviously, you'd, be, you'd probably like to get promoted to the championship. Are you quite happy with stuff, or are you kind of one of those fans that would no, no, I want to be, I want to be as successful as Inverness or or, or Mother or local club well, to be in, be in the Premiership? Or are you happy with how things are? Because that's that's how it, it should be. It's something that I think. Clyde are the size of a club. I mean, we've won the Scottish Cup three times uh, and we're in, we're situated in one of Scotland's biggest towns on the outskirts of um, the city of Glasgow. I, I think we should be aspiring to get to the Premiership. I don't see why we should be putting a ceiling on our, our ambitions. Um, there's a bit of kind of things going around and Different Clyde fans will have different opinions um, about whether the stadium is the right place to do it. Personally, I don't think the club will ever get to that that level at the stadium we're in because it doesn't allow us to make the money um, unless yeah. someone comes in with deep pockets. But yeah, other people look at it and go, "It's a beautiful stadium," so they they want to stay there, and it is an amazing stadium. Um, but yeah, I think that that Clyde should be aiming to... to you look at the size of Ross County, teams mm. like that, and we should be easily um, up with them. And we have won cups in recent years, so I know they've got big benefactors, but if you can get a sustainable model where you're paying your players and you can get up and do something like St Johnston, yeah, we should be able to compete for that. Well, yeah, you think Ross County, with that, uh, the town they're in, Dingwall, is, is the population is 6,000, isn't it? So the population of Dingwall, the town that Ross County is in, could fit inside your stadium and only use up three sides. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, they do, have, they do have an owner who pumps in a lot of money. Um, but it's, a, it's, an, it's an aspiration. Um, some Clyde fans have argued, have argued with and say championship is the, the best we, we can aim for, but I, I don't think mm-hmm. that. That's right. Maybe a short-term goal, but long-term goal, I think, should be. Yeah, you, long-term goals is the important thing. Short-term, you can you can boom or bust. You look at Gretna. Their short-term goals are fantastic. Long-term goals, well, they didn't seem to have any, did they? Because they ended up falling to bits. But, um, so, the, the, again, it sounds like I'm a bit of a football hanger. I guess you'd represent a football podcast, I must be. I think Clyde have the best nickname of any football club, probably in Europe, so for those benefits, a benefit of you who don't know much about Scottish football or are interested particularly, Clyde's nickname is the Bully Wee. Now, I don't know what a Bully Wee is. 
can you please explain to me? All this time I've known about this nickname, I've never asked anybody why you call well, him Bully. Yeah, we're known we're known as the the Bully Wee, and nobody quite knows why we're called the Bully Wee. There's, I'm pleased about that. I'm actually, genuinely happy. There, there's, um, there, there, there's two theories that that I'm aware of, anyway. That it was it was comes from an old sort of Victorian saying where kind of bully meant bully for you sort of first rate sort of give a good that sort of thing oh okay and obviously we were the smaller club in glasgow because we used to be based um in at shawfield in, in glasgow so people maybe called us bully wee and that's kind of where it came from um oh. there's another there's, there's another sort of theory that it's quite it's quite out there, but I, I like it. Um, apparently, some Frenchmen were at the original ground that we played at um, back in the nineteen hundreds, and we scored a goal, and it got disallowed. Um, obviously, the referees were still against us back then. <laughs> yes, of course. As supposedly, and I've not I've not checked the translation, but this is the the theory that. When the, the goal was went in and not given, the French guys started shouting "Bully we which is oh, your goal, yes. <laughs> I would love that to be true. The Glasgow crowd picked that up and started oh. singing ever since. So I don't know what nobody knows reasons why it's called that, but yeah, that's the theories. But that's- yeah. Brilliant. I would love that to be true. I, would, I, I don't think it is. I'm not suggesting you're wrong. <laughs> but I can't. Oh, that's great. Um, so I'm going to ask a very deep question now, Dave. It's not like you're kind of on a, on a psychiatrist chair. I apologise for sounding too deep. But did you find your club or did your club find you is what we ask all supporters in this section. Obviously, you said that your, your dad and granddad and his dad went. So the kind of, I guess you were kind of, pushed in that way but do you think once you started going you've been like five or six times and you start to think oh yeah i belong here this is I, the, the guy who's on uh, episode six had exactly the same thing he's from rotterdam he supports rotterdam's third biggest club i won't giving away what he's saying about it but he said the same thing he could have gone to the other two went to the smallest and thought oh i like this and something about it he like he didn't like the other two clubs atmospheres or whatever is that what you had do you think it, it kind of you felt at home there well, I suppose when you're when you're a kid, you don't really know much much different. And your, my dad taking me to the the games when I was younger, and it just sort of coincided. I'm pretty sure we got promoted the the year as the year that um, I I first started watching, or it was either the year after, um, and. That obviously helps. And you remember back to being a Terrasen, and I've got memories of the manager being kind of flung in the air by the supporters and just a kid and the the game we needed to to win. Um, I remember the huge crowd on the terrace in down in Dumfries uh, against Queen of the South. So I think that kind of all kind of hooks you in early whilst you don't really, you don't really um, have much of a choice. But as you, as you get older, um, I do, I do sometimes kind of, look at fans who support um, other teams like Rangers and Celtic and 
you look at them going on European trips and you, you kind of get a little bit jealous of that because we'll never get that. Um, certainly not anytime soon anyway, but the best we'll get used to be a, a trip to Berwick across the border. That's <laughs> um, a foreign trip, yeah. But, but they've been they've been relegated into the Lowland League now. Yeah, so that's <clears throat> for, for a while. Um, so yeah, that sort of stuff. But yeah, instead of that, I go on the Tartan Army trips and support Scotland. Um, so it's, it's part of uh, the the whole the whole thing is you, you get to see the whole country. I mean, I, I think I, following Clyde, I think I've been to every ground in the country apart wow. from. Two. That's and, impressive. And I think all of them have been for a Clyde match because yeah. they've been promoted or relegated um, through. <clears> there. <throat> I think I think only Rangers fans actually, which is unusual, can can say that because they can now. Yes. Went all the way up through the yeah. leagues as well. Well, that's the thing about supporting my team. That's, I've seen us play in Division Four, Division Three, Division Two, Division One, Championship, Premiership. Um, combined Counties League, Ryman Division 1 South, Ryman Premiership, uh, Conference South, Conference League 2, League 1. So that's 12 different divisions. I say it's the same club. Some people may dispute. So I thought, yeah, you support Arsenal. You've only seen one play in one division. Where's the, where's the fun in that? So last question, though, because I know you've got other things to do. Um, <laughs> so what do you think? Is there one thing that you can say is the best thing about supporting Clyde? One thing. It's, it's, I think it's just the, the community. Um, that's what keeps you going when you've got the. I mean, we had we had a few bad years. We had no no money and down the bottoms of the bottom of the league. Um, but you go there on a the Saturday. You have a pint with your your mates. You they're they're the only ones who who know how you feel about the team because yeah, the people you see through the week are they can't really relate to that. So yeah, it's it's all about it's all about the community of these smaller clubs, and I think. I think it, uh, fans of clubs in those leagues would say say the same. I think clubs are um, hugely, hugely important to their communities, and it's something that I think sometimes maybe the powers that be at the at the top forget about and focus on the top um, the top teams and forget that actually these these wee towns and need. Football teams, and it's all about that yeah. community brings people to, together men, women, children. Um, but and it's something that they can focus on on a Saturday, yeah. No, I agree entirely. I agree entirely, David. Thank you very much for your time. Hopefully, our listeners, you've got a really good idea of what it's like being supporting a, a third tier Scottish team, not Celtic, not Rangers, not Aberdeen, not one of the teams that are winning thing or getting to Europe. You're talking about an exotic trip across the border. To, in a different country to play a team that's also played in your league which I think is fantastic so Dave thanks for your time for joining us on, uh, on Time and Dumpers Sausages and good luck the rest of the season hopefully Paul and I will come up at some point and we'll, we'll take in a Clyde game so, no problem more than welcome so what game should we pick I mean I want, well, I want to see a game a bit of atmosphere the best the best atmosphere you'll get in the league we've got the now is when we play Falkirk because Falkirk's not too far away and they always bring a a big crowd okay and we, we seem to have the edge over them this season, despite them being the team that everyone expected to walk the league. We seem to beat them twice. So 
Oh, okay. We'll be looking for revenge, but yeah, if you come up for that, you'll get. We'll do that. We'll do it, and we'll do a live thing. We'll, we'll, we're going to record it. We're going to get. We're going to video as well. So we'll, we'll, we'll video the whole experience if we're allowed to. We don't get asked to stop by your gem. Um, we've had that before. Um, so thank you much indeed for your time again, David, and cheers. Thank you. No problem. That was David Alexander, Clyde supporter. Um, Paul, this is it now. This is the longest one we've ever done. Do you want to sum up? Because uh, there's no football to watch. There is reports today that uh, football may be back on the 6th of June. Uh, that's just come in. <clears throat> 6th of June, behind closed doors. We don't know whether they're going to be playing in, in teams in their own grounds, trying to finish the season off to play in their own grounds, or whether they go and play St George's Park, or as someone suggested, why not just play in Hackney Marshes, get all the games over and done with. Um, <clears throat> we don't know what's going on. It's not important in the grand scheme of things, but it is to us, because this is how this is what we do. Um, so what do you reckon then? I'm going to let's sum up, finish this episode with what you think is going to happen then. Is that going to happen? Because if the lockdown's still on, we can't do it. It's ridiculous thinking about it. But if, this, if the lockdown is lifted by mid-May, then I guess it's possible. I think the thing with the other face facts is that concerts are being cancelled all over the show that are into almost July territory. So... Obviously, public gatherings are going to be the last thing that comes back to a normal, if there will be one after this, society. So I kind of get that a little bit. Just deeply upset. It's going to be behind closed doors. And, you know, it's, it's for people like us that go week in, week out. And, and I'm sure a lot of football fans who are fans in armchairs, I don't mean that rudely. I mean, you know, that's the way it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff. Um, won't notice a difference, but to me, that's going to be huge. And, um, disappointing really because you know the whole part of the thing and the players and everything else so that's a little bit sad but I, I understand that it needs to come to conclusion but it's going to be interesting because teams like us that are just heading for the kind of maybe chance of the playoff um, home matches are intense yeah. and, our, and our next one would have been you know like we would have Fulham among Barnsley and Charlton and stuff, and, and no child was away. It, it would, it, it just makes such a difference. Do you know what I mean? And, and definitely the Valley as well was with, with it being so close to the pitch as well. It would have been a difference. So for that, I get. Um, but I guess I just want the season to end, get things done, and and get everyone over the line, so to speak. And then I wonder if they're going to play. The, the weird thing is, will they carry on with the playoffs? I just don't see how they can do that. No, I, I, I think they're going to. The playoffs will have to be. It's going to be top top two. In the championship in League One and top three in in um, in League Two because at League One, of course, we're we're a team short, so maybe maybe four could go up then. Or oh, I, I don't know how this is going to work. Or no, no no teams get. Or, or if you don't do that, no teams get relegated or whatever. It's 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 a mess, and yes. we do realise that we're making a big thing of what is basically a trivial thing in the grand scheme of things. But it's 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 important to us in that in that respect. So who knows? But if, um, there was an interesting thing on in. Um, in one of the papers where Andy Holt, the CEO of uh, Accrington Stanley, said that if they play, finish the season behind closed doors, they will lose £300,000, which is more than they would lose if the season was cancelled. So there... Exactly. Yeah. And the worst thing is, if, if, you, if, if you're in a position where you can go up and you're kind of relying on that 12th person syndrome as well I don't know yeah. it's just but then how they, they, they please everyone because listen <clears> this will end here this will whatever they do clubs are going to get busy with legal representation all over the country and the the the, 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 the thing we have now of like loving our NHS people dying will, will be forgotten and people will go back to well, yeah 
my club should have gone up. We, we were one point, one goal away. We were this. We, we don't deserve to get relegated with six more games, nine more games, whatever to get out of it, blah, blah, blah. And whatever they do, it won't end well. So I, I wish them luck with that one. Because, yeah, as you said, that the idea of, of pleasing, it's, it's got to be whatever pleases or displeases the least amount of clubs. So if 45 clubs are happy with one thing and then, then there's 12 doing another thing and 16 want another thing, you've got to go with the majority of clubs. Because you, th- you think if that applies to Accrington, that's going to apply to Macclesfield, Stevenage, Burton, my team, and it's going to apply to all clubs who get four or 5,000 or less. But you look at bigger clubs like Sunderland in League One, I mean, they, they are, I just think the amount of money they spent on players and agents' fees, they've, you know, they've got a, one of their subs, Will Grigg, who's hardly started a game from since he joined them, it was four, it was four million pounds. In, in, in it's, just, it's, it's ridiculous money. When you look at Accrington's uh, record transfer fee, I think it's 50,000. It might be more, but I don't think they've ever paid more than 50 grand for a player because they can't afford it. Absolutely fine. Very well-run club. I like how Accrington do I think quite pleased when they came up because we, we kind of, um, they, we denied them promotion because they, they scored against us a few weeks before the playoff, uh, we, beat, we beat them in the playoffs, but before a few weeks before the playoffs, we beat them. Um, and they scored a goal at, just on the half-time whistle. And then um, the ref disallowed the goal because he blew the whistle as the ball was about six yards from the net. Never seen that Ooh. before. And had that been allowed, we wouldn't have gotten the playoffs and they would have gone straight up. Anyway. But so, you know, the, 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 I'm just thinking about it logically. One thing the, the football authorities could do that would ease a lot of burden is divvy up prize money. So whoever yeah. wins what, the prize money should out equally among all teams in that league to what it would have been. And I think that's a fair outcome. Um, of course, Liverpool and Leeds and others will not be happy with that. But you still get promoted. You're still going to, to, to get your glory. Mm-hmm. This is about making sure that the other clubs around you exist as well as you. So I think the right thing yep. to do would be divvy up prize money. You're right. That's, that's verging on communism, isn't it? It's not far. Oh, Lord above. Lord above, you start, <laughs> start stopping there. We'll, we'll get trolled now on Twitter. Oh dear, Lord, I've got enough of them already. <laughs> We're going to get trolled by Charlton fans as it is anyway. Right, so Paul, uh, thank you for your time as well. And I'm going to thank myself for my time. Um, so Paul Moore, thank you, thank right. you, Kevin. Thank you for your time. Right. And, oh, thank you. And, and for making this the shortest, longest podcast ever. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, if people do listen to it, then well done to everyone who gets through the entire hour and 54 minutes of this. <laughs> such a great guest. Um, so thanks to him as well. Um, yeah, that, that, I enjoyed that. So we're back uh, in a couple of weeks' time with another guest. Do you want to reveal who the guest is, Paul? Or do you want to keep it quiet for people? Because I think, I think people might like to know who their guest is on episode nine. Well, it'll be someone who can certainly um, do a dance in a lockdown. Okay, and it's also someone who has who has uh, offered or said they would climb a ladder if they scored a goal at a particular end of their ground. So that's a clue that you might guess who their next guest Ooh. is. But anyway, it's true. So thank you very much for joining me. I'm Kevin Boris. That was Paul Finney as well. Um, well, you will hear from us very soon. And there's no football to enjoy, so we can't do our usual sign-off. But just, you know, stay safe and stay sane and give the NHS nothing else to do other than look after the people that are currently suffering from this ridiculous and extraordinary virus. So please don't go out and hurt yourselves. Basically, that's it. So thanks for joining us and you'll hear from us again soon. Thanks. Stay safe. Cheers. Cheers.